Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Brought to you by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. GAF, we protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply, providing contractors, home builders, and many others with superior quality roofing products. And yes, indeed, welcome to another edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. My name is Eric Smith. Across from me, General Contractor Donnie Blanchard. Welcome back to the show, Donnie. Always good to be here, sir. How's it uh, been working outside? Still hot as Hades for you guys? It is. Yes, sir. It's uh, probably about the same as it is in Wilson. And, you know, I can handle the heat if we have a breeze, but it seems like it's just been very stale, stagnant outside. And, um, you know, with my roofing crews and and those guys that have to work up high, I want to say the temperature on a roof on any given day is about 160 to 70 degrees. So my heart really goes out to those guys and I never fail to tell them how much I appreciate them. And, um, you know, they appreciate the work, but this is just a tough time of year to get the job done. Sure is. And as you caught there, Donnie talking about his roofing crew, he's not only a general contractor, but he's the owner of SureTop Roofing. And you can go to his website at SureTopRoofing.com. But the show itself, we have its own little website, its own little world, and that's called TheCarolinaContractor.com. You can find out information about us. You can get links to uh, Facebook and we got Instagram. We got, believe it or not, I don't even know if you check this, Donnie. You know, we've got literally now several thousand people following us on the uh, Instagram site. Yep. I call it uh, your ability to stalk us if you would like to. (laughs) And you can also download past shows and listen to those. You can ask Donnie a question if you have one about your house, the inside, the outside, the roof, plumbing, electrical things like that. There's a little button called Ask the Contractor, and you can click on that and ask your questions for Donnie. He likes to answer them directly, and sometimes we do shows dedicated to that, nothing but questions from listeners. But again, you can find all that information on thecarolinacontractor.com. Now, last week, we did a show about home upgrades, upgrades you can do for convenience, upgrades you can do for comfort, efficiency. And then we had so much stuff, we literally ran out of time. And so this is kind of like we left everybody with a cliffhanger, Donnie. So we're going to go back and finish that show today. And what we started to walk away from was HVAC. But the big question was when it's time to replace an HVAC unit, there's multi-stage and a minimum SEER rating. So let's jump into the first question I have, which is what is a SEER rating? SEER is the acronym. It's S-E-E-R, and it stands for Seasonal Energy Efficiency Rating. Sexy. (laughs) It is. The heating and air units, people often uh, describe those in terms of tonnage, like, you know, a two-ton unit is right for a 1,200-square-foot house, 600 square feet per ton is the rule of thumb, unless you have spray foam, but we won't go into that. Uh, The SEER rating is uh, the minimum SEER rating now, for instance, is 14 after 2022. Uh, 2022 is the last year 14 SEER will be available. Uh, the minimum SEER rating next year will be 15. So a lot of folks are going ahead if they replace their unit and go into what will be the minimum SEER rating. I don't think that spending a lot of money on the higher SEERs, 1920, I don't know that that's worth it in my book because it usually costs about 1500 for the equipment extra per point. And uh, if you look up the calculations for the savings, it only saves you about two, $300 a year. And so the payback just isn't there because the average heating and air unit is going to go out in about 15, 17 years if it's maintained properly. 
uh, even less if it's not. But um, the important thing that, that I would say if you had to focus on any part of the SEER rating is that the minimum SEER rating for multi-stage units and what a multi-stage unit is similar to is uh, that vehicle that's a V8, but when you get on the interstate, it doesn't need all eight cylinders and it downsizes to a V6 to save you money. A multi-stage is similar. So a multi-stage, instead of operating at 100% all day, every day, it will downgrade to about 65% operating capacity. And that, you know, results in lower power bills. And, and the thing about where we live is heating and air units are sized for the hottest and the coldest days of the year. And if you don't have a multi-stage unit, like I said, you're operating at 100% capacity. And in the fall and in the spring, you just don't need all that tonnage. So um, a 16 for certain manufacturers is the minimum sear for multi-stage. And I'm a fan of the American Standard uh, train units. And 17 sear is the minimum sear rating for those multi-stage units. So uh, important to ask all the right questions. If you are in the market for a heating and air unit or you're building a house, getting a good heating and air guy that understands how all these things work together is really important. And Donnie, is there still an issue with new units? So the the units aren't as much of an issue as sheet metal and flex duct. So your supply piping and then, of course, the sheet metal is used um, for the uh, distribution boxes and so forth. And uh, my understanding is... The bigger companies kind of hoarded all the flex there for a moment, and they're having um, a little bit more success getting their hands on it now, but that really put a strain on a lot of the smaller HVAC companies. Right. So again, it's showing the importance of having a relationship with a HVAC professional because they can do maintenance to let these units, as Donnie pointed out, run uh, 15, 16, 17 years. Right. I actually had my first heating and air uh, problem after 11 years. Um, I have the multi-stage unit, of course. Really? Yeah, I... um. I got low on refrigerant and I didn't realize it, but, um, but what was happening because it was still, my house is so well insulated that it maintained the uh, temperature just from the air condition upstairs, kind of helping out the downstairs. And one morning I noticed early in the morning, it was like 72. And usually in the morning, it has no trouble staying right around that 70 degree mark. But two mornings consecutive, I noticed it was on 72. And I, of course, I called my heating and air guru guy and I said, hey man, I may need some attention over here. And uh, he came over and of course, he troubleshot everything from the outside and worked his way in. And we went down to the basement and took a few screws off of the uh, panel cover, uh, only to find out that my coils were frozen solid. It was a big block of ice. So, if that is the fact, uh, that is the case with your heating and air unit, you know, it's it's not a tough fix for them to do that. But uh, what you have to do is, if you you're able to look at your air handler there and see that you have frozen coils, what you what you're supposed to do is turn your unit completely off and then turn the fan on permanently, not on auto. So you have two settings, auto and on. You want to turn the air condition off and the fan to on, and then let that run for about a half a day, and it will thaw that out naturally so that the heating and air guy can do what he needs to do to put your refrigerant back to the right level. I used to sometimes pour gallons of warm water on it, too, to expedite that process (laughs) when I had it. Right. Yep. No comment. I'm not recommending it. You're now learning the correct way to do something and the incorrect E-Rock way to do something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So uh, last week, like I said, we we're talking about home upgrades and there we kind of wrapped it up with HVAC and how important it is to keep them maintained. And now let's move to a new category here, Donnie. And we don't think about this at all. And that is safety. There are lots of things you can do to increase the safety of your house and to start off maybe crawling on your knees yeah. to, to look for things, right? Yeah, that's uh, we had a lady on the show about a year ago, and uh, that's what she specializes in is people who are expectant parents. You know, what you should do to prep your house. And I don't know if this list is so much of an upgrade list as it is a precautionary measure list, but I thought that safety was a worthy category to address because, um, you know, half the people are either aging out and they're needing handicap accessibility, which we'll get to, 
Uh, but safety with small children and, and toddlers is a real thing. As Mike Rowe says, uh, safety first, at least the top three. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Karen, who was on the show, uh, she recommended that if you're bringing a baby home, crawl around on your floor. As silly as that sounds, you know, crawling on your floor and looking around for things that you can get to at that 12, 18 inch level, you know, will, will be an eye opener. And um, I just think that's a smart thing to do uh, if you're considering your own children might be at risk if, if you have something that's not supposed to be out there. Another thing she put out there that I thought was really good is the poison control number. Have that handy because uh, that's, um, and it's easy to remember, it's 1-800-222-1222. But having the poison control number at your fingertips might come in handy should something happen. Um, cl- kitchen cleaning chemicals, uh, anything that the kid can get to in the bottom cabinets is a uh, something that needs to be addressed with cabinet locks or what have you. Um, she commented on water heater temperatures and she said your hot water can't be any warmer than 120 degrees. And so I like a hot shower. So mine is a bit above that, but my children are older, so no need to worry there. Uh, Gates and hardware mounted at the top of stairs. Um, A pressure-mounted gate maybe on the same floor is a good idea. And uh, I saw this really neat thing on Pinterest, or maybe my sister sent it to me, but it was a pocket door gate. And I really like that because it doesn't uh, swing in the way of a room when you open or when you open it up from the the closed position. And um, uh, you know, if you have the time in the evenings, uh, an infant safety and CPR class is a good investment of your time. And um, I just think that there's a handful of things that are common sense items. And um, those are, are really things that you should take into consideration if you're going to start a family. Now let's move to the other end of life. And that is um, there's lots of things we can do for people, whether it's handicap or seniors. I have a niece who's taking care of my wife's mother and she does a fantastic job. But she definitely struggles because their house is not designed to do this. So let's go over some of the things that make handicap accessibility and monitoring easier in a house. I don't know how well the life alert thing works. I've never been in a position to have to take care of somebody elderly. But uh, I think those life alert things, people say, well, I've got my grandfather a cell phone. And if somebody takes a hard fall and, you know, maybe they're confused and operating a cell phone, especially if it's not a flip phone, um, uh, operating a cell phone might be something that's impossible for them to do at that moment. And um, I think that the two-way cameras, as cheap as they are now, and I know we said last week, go smart devices everywhere you can, but these two-way cameras that you can speak back and forth through, I think are just genius. And um, I would have these set up at all the uh, critical points in the house. You know, you definitely want something in the kitchen, maybe everywhere but the bathroom. But if they're going to be in a you know bedroom or they have to go up two or three stairs to get into the house, you definitely need one in the garage or something that faces the exterior. And I had a friend who her granddad took a fall uh, a couple weeks ago and, you know, he lay there for a while and, and he had a cell phone. That's what made me bring that up. And he had a cell phone, but he just wasn't in the mental right mental space to use that. So anyway, I think those two way cameras are a really cheap investment that are worth it. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a house that I designed for handicap accessibility. This has been 10 years ago or so and really basic floor plan. And what we did when we did the blueprints was I designed it to have all four foot hallways and all three foot doorways because that's the handicap code uh, requirement for commercial buildings. So we tried to incorporate a little bit of that into this residential house. And um, basically what we did throughout the house is uh, we put blocking down the hallways in the in, in the stud walls so that if they ever had to add grab bars, we did the same thing in the bathroom. And I do this in my houses today, not to the extent that I did in this one because they anticipated they were early 70s at that point and they really anticipated needing those grab bars and all those critical places just to get around the house uh another cool thing that we did is when we dug the footings we dug the footings for the house lower than what were the footings for the garage 
And then uh, we went in there after the concrete had cured in the footings, and we actually cut the remaining dirt out of there so that uh, their crawl space was almost recessed is a good way to describe it. But under your floor system, of course, you've got your floor joist, but under your floor joist, you usually have a girder. The code minimum is 12 inches from the crawl space floor to the bottom of that girder. So we made the portion of the house that was adjacent to where the garage was as low as possible. And what we were trying to achieve there is no steps in from the garage. Aside from cutting out that that dirt, what we did is added an extra load or two, so an extra five hundred to a thousand dollars worth of gravel, and we we basically built the height of the co- the garage slab up. So we dropped the floor system on the house side, and we built the garage up, not to an uncom- where it had an uncomfortable pitch or anything, but we built it up with an extra load of gravel so that that concrete flowed right into the house. And you know, it almost sounds like that's backwards because if the concrete's the same height as the house. Water could get into the house, but this is inside of a garage, keep in mind. So no water could get in the garage. And um, they were really pleased with that. And, and more than anything, I guess that could fall in the uh, function category. But um, we did some other things like a big walk-in shower for them. And, um, you know, getting in and out of a bathtub when you're older just doesn't make sense. And uh, the important thing that we did in the walk-in shower, because they didn't want it to look like a handicap house, right? They wanted it to be cosmetically pleasing. And we used slip-resistant flooring. And it's important if you ever put tile in a shower, even in a bathroom anywhere, the tile properties have this thing called coefficient of friction. And uh, it's important to ask the right questions when you buy the tile because that coefficient of friction, if you have um, a low coefficient of friction, basically, you know, you have a slippery tile in a wet area and that's just not good whether you're young or old. So a handful of other stuff that we did is we made all the cabinets uh, 30 to 34 inches, which is the variance on uh, the height of the countertops for wheelchair accessibility. And, and it's not very noticeable. I think we went 32 or 34 on there. So they were uh, the, the standard height is 36. It's not far off, but... That couple of inches makes a big difference if you're in a wheelchair. Um, The last thing I did, and I won't say that this is a handicap accessibility feature, but they were hard of hearing. And I had known them for a while. And every time I went to their house, they just blasted the TV. And to talk over the TV, it almost felt like you were yelling, you know? So I think I spent $150 on two speakers. They weren't very expensive. And basically, I wired these speakers. I said, hey, where do you want your recliners? Because, of course, they sat there in the evenings in the recliners with a lamp and a table between them and watched their Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and everything. And they, uh, they told me where they wanted their chairs. And I dropped those speakers right over their chairs. And... Just like that, problem solved. I tell you what, Donnie, it it bugs me when you tell that story because on more than one occasion, my wife and I have found ourselves sitting on the couch watching Jeopardy go into Wheel of Fortune. And I love Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. It it takes me back. (laughs) It's comforting on some level. I I don't know, but I I don't watch a lot of TV anyway. But I can totally get down with about ten minutes of either show if I if I happen to catch it. And um, hey, I wanted to add one more thing. If you do have relatives and you anticipate you're going to have Uh, some sort of healthcare need or handicap accessibility need, they have a lot of good information online. And the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, the website is eldercare.gov. And it has a ton of details and just some really good recommendations if you're in that situation. Yeah, we're not old, Donnie. We're just old souls and young bodies. Yeah, I didn't want to direct the website to you. I thought you might be offended. (laughs) That's right. My picture's right up there. Now, let's (laughs) let's focus on the fact that you've done uh, some home upgrades that we've talked about this show and the, the one from last week. And you're thinking, so what's the worth of all of this to me to make these changes? Well, we use the abbreviation ROI, and that's your return on investment. So when you make a change to your house, and by the way, if you put in a disco ball and a stripper pole in your living room, (laughs) there's no return on the investment of that. But if you do some of the things we were talking about, and there are other things you can do that actually increase the value of your house. But let's start off with 
the roof, Donnie. Let's start at the top there and, and getting a new roof and what it can do to your, the value of your house. Yeah, I, I tell this story way too frequent, but um, a roof adds supposedly adds 7% to the value of your house. And um, uh, it's even more than that if you should go with like a metal roof or something, but we're just focusing on what the shingle percentage is. And, and by the way, you know, metal roofing is, if you maintain it, it could be there forever, but the shingle warranties now are so strong. Uh, we put a 50-year non-prorated warranty on everything that we install, and that's the same exact thing as the metal, and um, not to mention the warranty's transferable one time. So if you have a $300,000 house and say the average roof is $10,000 for that house, you know, that 7% figure ends up adding up to 21000 to the value of your house. So definitely in the green in terms of return on investment for a brand new roof. I uh, would recommend if anybody wants to do the roof, don't go with a three-tab shingle. The three-tab are labeled as a composition shingle, and they only have a 25-year warranty. Architectural has double at the 50-year mark, and the labor's the same. It's just the materials. Here's a crazy one. I had no idea the ROI on a garage door replacement. Yeah, it has a definitely a good uh, return on your investment for a garage door. And garage doors are fairly cheap. I would say, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,000 for, say, a, a double 16, 18-foot door. Uh, you can get as funky as you want to with the glass and the patterns. But, um, you know, $2,000 will get you a nice, insulated, good-looking garage door. And, um, yeah, that is a weird one for the list. But definitely the ROI is there for that. We don't talk about this a lot, but since we've talked about some of the smart devices, you know, garage doors uh, do have smart capability. You would be wise to do your research if you already have a smart thermostat and some other things through your house. There are different garage doors that are compatible with different systems, but uh, some of these things even have uh, voice control options. Uh, They double as a security camera, and I think they uh, may even have a speaker capability that I saw on one of those. And anyway, I have to be careful when I mention things like this because people will tune out of the show just to go research the uh, smart garage doors. But yeah. Really cool, really cool product. The big thing that everybody notices when they walk to your front house is the entry door. And that's also, that's a triple digit return on investment, depending on what you get installed there, right? Yep. You did this recently, right? Or did you paint your door? Well, no, we did it. We painted our front doors. It's trendy, the barn red. And so I did that. But then I went to Lowe's, who's uh, not a sponsor of the show, but as we know, should be. And I had them install a storm door, a nice glass storm door. And it was so worth letting this guy do it because I even said to him, have you done this before is a joke. And he said, I probably put 10,000 of these in and hour and a half, beautiful glass storm door on. And it made walking up to that entryway to the house absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I give my endorsement to um, fiberglass doors. You know, fiberglass doors weren't common 20 years ago, but now they have uh, so many styles and, and so many options. Um, I have fiberglass doors on the front of my house and it faces due south. So the worst thing I've had to do is restain those. But uh, it used to be that fiberglass didn't have the capability to to take on a stain. Uh, and now they even have the, the fiberglass with the wood grain. Uh, you would have to really touch it to know that it wasn't real wood. But uh, you have to use a gel stain because you're applying it vertically. But the, uh, the fiberglass doors are the best bang for the buck. They're pretty cheap. Uh, the, the R value is there. Uh, you know, they're they're a lot better than steel. People say, I want a steel door for security, but that steel door tends to get beat up and it doesn't take long to do it and uh, doesn't have a really good R value. And with a wood door, you have to be really careful with that too, because if you install a wood door, you'd be wise to make sure that it's under a porch and it doesn't have a lot of sun exposure or you're going to fight that thing for years to come. All right. My wife was talking about uh, remodeling the kitchen and I said, well, honey, we didn't win that $1.3 billion lottery, but (laughs) there are some things you can do to minor remodeling of your kitchen that will actually still give you a really good ROI. Yeah. Um, you know, 
not replacing the cabinets because that's a big ticket item, but you can always replace your cabinet doors. And if you have a wood shop or a place that sells not exotic wood, they sell exotic wood, but they sell other species, you know, that, that uh, pine and things that are frequently used to work with. And you can usually find one of these uh, wood shops that will build cabinet doors for you. And they're not that expensive. So uh, just taking your old cabinet doors off and uh, putting these new cabinet doors on and maybe painting everything white together uh, can change the look of your kitchen. It's a good look. And a lot of that, a lot of that's a DIY project. And if you wanted to go as far as the countertops, I really, I like level one granite. It's what I have in my personal house and it's, it's relatively cheap. And you can also just change the hardware, the door handles on your cabinets, and that can make it really pop, especially if you've got like 1983 brass handles <laughs> and things like that around. Okay. Something I did uh, five or six years ago was siding replacement and mm-hmm. going into it. I knew very little about this, but it not only has a big ROI, but I said, so you're going to take all the old siding off and put this on. He says, no, the siding on it you have is fine. Anything that's broken or cracked will replace. But he said, we're going to hang over that because that's just going to increase your insulation. I agree a thousand percent. We talked about them, I don't know, four months ago on a show that every every building material on your house has an R value. Even the airspace between the brick and the sheathing has an R value of one. But uh, that was true. And I'm assuming that you had masonite prior, right? Yeah, I admit it. We had masonite. <laughs> Didn't know it until someone pointed it out. And someone doesn't know masonite is That's just cardboard. Right. Yeah, it is. Masonite's an inferior product. That and a handful of other things that they they really only make it for repairs. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't even it would be completely obsolete right now. But no, masonite's it's not bad until it gets wet. So I agree with what he said wholeheartedly. And I think before you go to make these upgrades, I should have added this plug earlier, but it's a great time for an energy audit. You can hire one of these energy audits to come out. They usually do a duct blaster and a blower door test are the two main things that they use to gauge uh, where you're losing your, your, or I'm sorry, where your heat transfer is taking place, whether it be out to in or in to out. And these guys are worth their weight in gold because um, just for a few hundred dollars, they can tell you or make a few recommendations that are going to save you that that few hundred dollars in the first year alone, and and probably a lot more. So definitely recommend if you have anything where you're adding insulation or doing anything like that, that energy audit is worth the money. And this is the Carolina Contractor Show. We're kind of doing a follow-up to last week's show about home upgrades. And after you make some upgrades to your house, you want to know, hey, has this got a good ROI or return on investment? By the way, you can get details at the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. We won't go into much detail on this one, but I did have my deck redone the top. It's a great thing to add uh, entertaining space and to be outside more often when you have the deck done, you can get a, a good ROI as much as 80% on your investment when you add a new deck or upgrade it. And that includes patios and, and things like that. And then of course, Donnie, we just talked about roof replacement and designer shingles are cool looking. They're very cool. They're different. They make them to simulate slate and, and other products that, um, that people don't commonly use on the roofs anymore. I don't know it. <laughs> To tell the truth, I don't know if the percentage is greater than adding for the architectural shingles. What I will say is availability uh, for designer shingles is a, a little bit questionable. They just went back into production recently. And if I had to guess, I would say if if architectural shingles add 7% to the value of your house, designers probably add somewhere in the neighborhood of 9 or 10. And what it's going to be more than that is is a selling point. So if you go to sell the house and you have the most unique roof in the area, then they're going to say, well, gosh, that, that sold me right there because I don't see any other roofs and I love what you got going on. And that's something they can get at suretoproofing.com, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. We actually have a website called Designer Shingle, no S, designershingle.com. And you can go on there and look at all the lines of the designers. And I think there are two or three that are not in production that are on the website, but you can always reach out and we can clarify one if you, if you like that. Usually the ones that are more popular with homeowners 
are the first to go back into production. So the answer is usually yes. And a couple other things that give you good ROI, a bonus room, of course, if you have an attic or a basement and you have it done right. And a lot of times it's good to get a GC in there, a general contractor to get in there. But people don't realize it's not finishing the room to make it look nice. It's extra living space. Yeah, my take on that is um, it's just as much for uh, adding that extra square footage to, to with sort of like what you did with your deck. And and now, you know, you guys use your deck every day. So uh, I think anything that maybe the ROI isn't there, but the family time is, I think that's a worthy investment. All right. Of course, Windows, the ROI on that, Donnie, um, and I'll let you quick go into ratings on that can be from 50 to 100 percent, somewhere in between there. Right. Um, it, it's hard to say depending on what you get, but most of the old Windows don't rate out anything over an R1, which is very low. Um, the, the energy code dictates the R value of the window. So even the cheapest window out there has to meet a certain standard that will pass code right now. But um, 90% of the windows out there are right around an R3. So you're going to triple your R value at the point where most of your heat transfer takes place. Not all of it, but most of it happens at the window. That's why if you look at your heating and air, your registers on the ceiling or the floor are always by a window because that's the vulnerable point. And unless the go above that, uh, the, the attic insulation is a huge thing there. Yes, I did uh, see that statistic that uh, it's 117% ROI on attic insulation, and you can't add enough. I think R38 is what we mentioned the code was, which if you do blown-in insulation, that's about 13, 14 inches. I would say go 18. You know, go go for an R44 if they're willing to do that and not charge you an arm and a leg. But it's very, um, it's not very inexpensive. It used to be very inexpensive, but just like the cost of everything else, it has shot up recently, and insulation is probably... 60% more than it was 10 years ago, but still a worthy investment. And and I endorse that all the way. Like we say, go big or go home. All <laughs> right. Uh, real quick, as we wrap up the show here, Donnie, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to rip through a couple of things. What are the ROIs on home improvement that really give you nothing back? And those are going to be things like your upscale renovations when you really super duper customize a room and it might not be to somebody else's taste. Also, if you're going to spend $50,000 to renovate a bathroom, you're not going to get that back. And I call this the big elephant in the room, or I guess it's not the elephant in the room. It's outside. I have an in-ground pool. Beautiful. I've put pictures up of it before. I love hanging out there. I was swimming today. But the problem with the pool is they're expensive to put in. You have to maintain them all year long or cover them. And people see it and go, man, this must add a lot to your house value. And I said, only if the person who was buying it wanted a swimming pool some people won't even consider a house if it has a swimming pool because they see it as a, an extra expense and something they're going to have to take care of and they don't want to do it. Well, we hope we've enjoyed this edition of the Carolina Contractor Show. We'll put some of this stuff up at the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. You can also download past episodes of the show. If you have a question for Donnie, again, he's a general contractor. So if you have a question about your house, just click on that button right there. And when you download past episodes, it's great because you can listen to them as you want. And we have them categorized so you can look at the title and go, oh, that's something I want to learn about. Or, I, oh, I never thought about this subject. Great. I'll listen to it. So I hope you guys have a great week. And we will see you next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show. Learn more at thecarolinacontractor.com. Brought to you by GAF. We protect what matters most. And Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply. Providing contractors, home builders, and more with superior quality roofing products. 
Hey, it's Eric Smith, co-host of the Carolina Contractor Show for SureTop Roofing. A brand new roof is even more affordable than ever. SureTop Roofing, your local GAF Master Elite certified roofer, now offers financing plans for as low as $85 a month. That's probably less than your internet or cell phone bill. With approved credit, you can finance that brand new roof for 10 years at 9.9%, and that includes warranties for up to 50 years. But this offer is only available from SureTop Roofing, so schedule your free estimate at SureTop Roofing. That's SureTopRoofing.com.